0: Um, Our second lesson today comes from the uh, book of Mark, starting in chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Or who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, Well, congratulations Um, Everyone has made it through the first family encounter of the holiday season And maybe you have a family where everyone loves each other and everyone gets along But maybe your family has learned to avoid talking about the topics that will trigger heated arguments and make everyone cringe Or maybe you learned long ago that family is who you want them to be rather than the family that you were born with. Maybe you've found it easier to celebrate the holidays alone or treat them like any other day off of work. Or maybe you didn't make it through, and you're sitting out there holding the emotional and spiritual wounds from the most piercing kind of conflict, the conflict with those that we are intimate with. Today's scripture gives us a window into that kind of conflict. First, between Peter and Jesus, and then Jesus and the crowd. And it's tempting to look away and not want to engage with that, especially when Jesus confronts his friends and, by extension, us. And we would rather spend our energy explaining how that isn't really what he's doing. Their passage begins by telling us that Jesus and the disciples are headed toward Caesarea Philippi, which was the center of non-Israelite worship at the time. So, this was the place where Jesus was going to encounter the most people who did not believe in or worship the God that he and the disciples did. They were all very aware that they were headed to a place It was filled with people who were not like-minded. Maybe that's how you felt headed where you were going on Thursday. So there's a tension that already exists within each of them just based on their geography. And Jesus asks, what are people saying? And his friends give a smattering of answers that all point to Jesus being someone who's religiously important. But there's also just a little bit of glad handing here. They're giving him some pretty great comparisons. No one is saying, well, you know, they're all saying that you're an antagonistic son of a tradesman from a backwater town. They're telling him things that are good. And then Peter gives the golden answer You're the Christ, the Messiah, the one of the prophecy. And that was the one answer Jesus didn't want them giving. Now, Danny touched on this a little bit last week, talking about the messianic secret that pervades Mark, where Jesus doesn't want anyone talking about the miracles that he's doing or what it is that he's up to. But our passage pivots immediately to Jesus telling the disciples for the first time what is to come, And we can kind of see that part of Christ's hesitancy really isn't just about timeliness. But it's because he knows that he will not be fulfilling the prophecy the way everyone expects. And then when he tries to explain that, we get a very real glimpse into what it was like to be an intimate of Jesus. See, rebuke is a word that's sort of softened for us. Rebuke, what does that even mean? But in Greek, epitema, to rebuke, is only used twice in Christian scriptures. And is used for both this scene and the same scene in Matthew. It is not meant to be a gentle word. The little translation of the Greek is that Peter pulls Jesus toward himself. If you've ever been a kid starting to say something and your mom grabs you and yanks you forward, that's what Peter is doing. He's not just saying, yo, come over here, let's talk for a minute. He's grabbing him and physically pulling him toward him and saying, what are you doing? And Jesus replies with equal energy. He looks around and sees who's watching, and he says, you are full of Satan. You're thinking like a human. Now I feel a lot of kinship with Peter, and this scene is one where I feel him so much. Of course Peter is thinking like a human, it's what he is. So we have to pause and reflect about what this conflict is about. See, I don't believe that Jesus forgot about Peter's humanity in this moment at all. No matter how angry or annoyed Jesus was, he knew Peter fully. I feel what we see in this scene is Jesus's fear. Fear about what will happen to his best friends if they don't figure this out. Fear of what will happen to the world should this grand experiment of God's fail. He knows it's hard. And that he's asking a lot of them to try and understand God in this way. And he knows that the future of humankind is going to depend on them getting it. So he puts it in life or death terms. He tells Peter and the disciples and everyone who is listening that the only way to follow him is to stop thinking about the power and the glory and the reward. Because that will not only defeat everything that he's about, but they will become the very thing He's there to change. He's really clear. You can't follow me because of what you are going to get. You do this because you've given yourself over to love. And when we talk about Christ the King, the festival we are celebrating today, We are not talking about power, or money, or control. Though for generations, that is exactly how we have acted. We are talking about allowing Jesus full access to our lives. Dedicating our decisions, our actions, our values, our whole selves to the act of love. Which brings us back to why we can end up in conflict with our intimates. Several years ago, I was in a training about domestic violence, and the conversation turned to stories of discipline that some of the people in the room had experienced as children by their parents. And what quickly became really clear was that the people of color often had stories of very physical discipline, Shoes, spoons, belts, smacks upside the head. And it was clear that these stories elicited sympathy from the white people in the room and also concerns of abuse that these others had endured. But what struck me was that many of the people who shared these stories didn't see them as abusive. One guy said, it made a man out of me. Or another said, it was my mom who kept me out of jail. Or my mom was an immigrant, that's what she knew. And then our instructor reminded us that many of these, quote, abusive punishments were born out of fear of what would happen to their child if they behaved improperly in front of the wrong person or in the wrong place. She said to us, you have to remember, bruised is better than dead. Jesus' harshness is preparing the people that he loves for what is to come. And his fear and his anger are indicative of the depth of love that he has for Peter and the importance of his life and witness. He's preparing all of us for what following him is going to cost. He's being as real and as honest as he can be. And 2,000 years later, we can see the truth of that need. Because we have seen time and again what happens when people use Jesus as an excuse to gain power and wealth and control. And we also see what happens when those who say they follow Jesus focus only on what they will gain from it. Because it's only a tiny step from focusing on what I will gain to what I won't have if you gain. it. Consider the most touted benefit of following Jesus. Eternal life. Believe and you will have eternal life. Everyone wants to live forever. We know that we want to live with our loved ones. It's the hope that we cling to when the people that we love pass on. We want to live with them forever. But then, maybe we go to Thanksgiving dinner and start to say, I'm not so sure I want to live forever with Uncle Stewart and his MAGA hat or I'm not going to any heaven where I have to watch my sister-in-law's gay son hold her his husband's hand all night. When we follow Jesus only because of what it gets us, we lose. We lose our empathy. We lose our compassion. We lose the ability to see the sacred worth in one another. And we start to lose a little bit of the belovedness in ourselves. See, the call of Christ is to love. That means acceptance. It means reconciliation. It means hospitality. And it means justice. We pick up that cross And we go forward for no other reason than God has called us to do that. The reward comes to the others who are helped by our actions and our choices. The reward comes in a peace that surpasses all understanding. The reward comes in a world made new a new kingdom, a new hope, a reign of love. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we often fear what being in conflict means. But we have to look past that and see the why. To understand what it is that the other person is needing. To understand what we're being called into. Conflict is simply a way toward greater intimacy with the people that we love. And you have shown us that we can be in those moments and we can speak our truth. And we can still stay in relationship and be together and still work toward a common goal. Help us to see these opportunities as ways of bringing love into the world. And help us to be humble as we move forward into those spaces. That we bring your love and your peace and we leave the rest at the door in your holy name Amen